0: We're continuing in our series, uh, Warriors in Prayer. And this morning, I've just got four words. So we'll be out of here quick. (laughs) You wish. (laughs) Hallowed be your name. Comes from Matthew 6, chapter six, verse nine. And we will, turn to that in a moment in a slightly different way, and uh, we'll see as we go along. Shortly after Linda and I were married in uh, 1967, we, we moved to Cyprus and lived there for just over three years. Our fellowship group was very mixed within our eyes at least a few older people, lots of young couples like ourselves, and a smattering of single young people. Some also joined us who were residents on the island, and in the main, they were Armenians. There's a bit of history there, which we can't go into now. But one such gentleman, Mr. Sam Pambakian, Attended regularly. And one day, one of our young men greeted him as Sam. The look he received was telling, culturally deficient in the way in which he was addressed. Mr. Sam would have been near the mark. But ideally, he was known as Mr. Pambakian. Years later, when our daughter Rachel and uh, her husband Andrew were called to serve in Cameroon in the mission hospital at uh, Hospital de Mesquine, we were able to visit and became very friendly with many of the staff that worked in the hospital. One such guy was Judoné the carpenter, and he adopted us as adoptive parents. He, of course, ma and pa, made us feel old. <laughs> Some years later, when Dr. John and uh, Leslie Bajent were, were serving there, we made another visit. By which time, Dudonny, still calling us ma and pa, was married, had children, and his wife had just had another baby. Invited to their home We were surprised when Judoni made a phone call to his mother in Baminda. I don't know if Connie's with us this morning. I don't think I spot her anywhere. Connie comes from Baminda. And uh, his mother approved that a naming ceremony should take place that very afternoon and that the little baby girl should be known as Linda. Now, Linda has now grown up, but we're told uh, by Kerry that she still uses her very English name. And generally in the West, we we don't place too much importance on our names, although we might do a bit of name dropping if uh, we come across someone who is well known. A couple of carol services ago, we had, a lady from the Guinness family, you remember remember that occasion. Uh, She attended the carol service and of course that name is known worldwide and particularly in the Republic of Ireland. There's a story about Michelle Guinness who was on her way to speak in Dublin at a woman's luncheon club when the strap on her sandal snapped. She called into the first shoe repair shop uh, she could find and asked the assistant if the repair could be carried out now, this minute. The assistant shook her head, declared there was a long waiting list and it would take two days. But Michelle protested, it only needs a stitch. But the appeal had no effect. Name, the shop assistant asked. Guinness, she responded. Then without looking up, the assistant said, your shoes will be ready in five minutes, Mrs Guinness. Now the scriptures have a, a much greater emphasis on the use of names and particularly when we consider God's name. His name stands for all that he has revealed to us through his written word about himself, about his being, and about his many attributes. So we're going to turn to the word. Matthew chapter 6, and it's coming up on the screen right now. It's great, isn't it? If you were in Scotland at this point, you'd be standing in certain churches, they stand to read the scriptures. So why don't we follow them? If you're able to, let's just stand and read this passage of scripture. Here we go. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Thank you. Sit down. So this morning, our remit is to consider that phrase, Hallowed be your name. And friends, maybe today we approach our subject with some apprehension. Maybe it's something we've pondered over and wondered about how we approach the one whose name is holy. Perhaps for some of us, uh, we work in an environment where God's name is used repeatedly. And it rolls off the tongues of our colleagues without them having any thought about what they're saying. I worked with a Christian friend at the college many years ago, and if Mike heard God's name being used inappropriately, he would say to them, so, you know him too? In our Bibles, there are many references to his name. Psalm 138, verse 2, David brings us this. I will bow down towards your holy temple and will praise your name for your love and faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. As we look at that verse, it's significant to note that God's name comes first. When we listen to Jesus as he teaches us this prayer, we we see how he starts with the person to whom we are to address this prayer, followed by the place where our Father dwells, and then immediately the request goes heavenwards, hallowed be your name. Now, had we time, we could spend hours getting to know the various names of God and their meaning. God reveals himself in the scriptures generally of his names, those amazing pronouncements which signify to us his glorious titles and his attributes. But we don't have that luxury. But just to whet our appetites here uh, are just a few. We'll be familiar with them, I'm sure. Uh, to his chosen people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he declares himself as El Shaddai. I am God. Almighty. Those of us old enough will remember Amy Grant's song with that title. Later on, as Moses, when the flock that belonged to Jethro, his father-in-law, uh, we find this in Exodus chapter 3, he was amazed to see the burning bush. And he subsequently had a conversation with the Lord, standing there on holy ground, in front of a bush that was not consumed. And the Lord announces to Moses that his mission was to go to Pharaoh and bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses freaks out at the very thought of such a task. Moses wants to know uh, what to say to the Israelites, and God's response is a strange one in our view, God says to him, I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent me to you. What a privilege for Moses to have God proclaiming his name, the Lord, L-O-R-D in capitals, to him. And here we have God declaring his sovereignty, his absolute goodness, his character, his flawlessness. Moses, he says, tell them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. His name I am directs us to his perfect, eternal existence. That which has characterized him from eternity past, he still possesses, and that will never diminish. He has neither beginning nor end, and what he promises, he will always fulfill. And elsewhere in scripture, he's known as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide Jehovah Nisai, the Lord is my banner. Jehovah Rohi, the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23. And Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. And so God's name is bound up with his identity, who he is. He is Yahweh, the one who is the great I am. And this God of glory is jealous for the honor of his name and all that we his people say and do should reflect his honor and reflect his reputation. Hallowed be thy name. Just four words. God's fatherhood draws us closer to him. His holiness separates him from an unholy creation keeping us from presuming upon his fatherhood. There is no universal acceptance of us from our own schemes or from our own concoctions of religious behavior. Men and women travel on many different roads with an assumption that they're heading in the right direction. And they often move with misguided conceptions, usually something buried in history. Or the result of clever indoctrination from the lives of men or women, intent on prospering themselves or projecting themselves above all others. But those not willing to accept his holiness, not willing to move in his direction, Not wanting to accept the purpose and the power of the cross of Christ will not experience his love, never experience his forgiveness and never have the certainty of him welcoming them into his family. When we pray as Jesus taught so succinctly, hallowed be your name, we make a petition that God's name is kept holy. We go back to the Old Testament and we hear those angelic voices proclaiming, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Isaiah's vision caused him to appreciate that the quality of God which most causes worship is his holiness. That more than anything else, sets him apart from his creation. There are no faults in his character, no flaws in his perfection, and no weakness in his faithfulness towards us. So let's endeavor to catch Isaiah's vision afresh. As children of the living, holy God of the universe, if we in them act in a manner that is not fitting as believers, then we give God a bad name. We don't change one jot of his character, but we can defile his name. When we, with our actions and our conversations and our manner of lives, we, we do not sanctify the Lord's name. The folk around us think very little about our God hallowed be your name, or let your name be holy, or again, let your name be treated with reverence. And Jesus in Matthew 6, 9 is telling us to ask God, who is absolutely certain about the honor of his name, to ask him to see to it that his name is hallowed is not an ascription of praise to the Father. But the verb hallowed is an imperative, and therefore it's essential that God's name is hallowed. John Piper remarks that there are two things that this request teaches us. God has every intention to cause his name to be hallowed. Nothing is higher on God's priority list. The other thing is that prayer is God's way of bringing our priorities into line with his. Listen carefully, God wills To make great things the consequence of our prayers. When our prayers are the consequence of his great purposes. Let me repeat that. God wills to make great things the consequence of our prayers when our prayers are the consequence of his great purposes. In other words, we're in line with his will by bringing our hearts into line with the utmost desire of God to hallow his name, we will know and experience effective prayer. Marines alluded to this with the 2410 and the 247. Let our first and all-determining prayer be for the hallowing of God's name. And our prayers will plug into the power of God's first and foremost intention, which is to guard his name. So the questions arise, uh, firstly, what does it mean to be hallowed, or too hallowed? And then what are we asking our holy God to do when we pray as Jesus teaches us, and ask him that his name be hallowed? Well, another word for hallow is that word sanctify, meaning to make holy or to treat as holy. I have one or two habits, and here's one of them. We're gonna digress for a minute. Ephesians chapter one, verses three and four. And Paul writes to the Ephesian church like this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, we need to catch on to this. Paul writes that we praise And bless our God for what he has done for us in Christ. He has granted to us every spiritual blessing that is obtainable from his bountiful store. That store in heaven when we belong to Christ. Let's get this right. Not that he will, at some point in our lives, drip-feed these blessings. God does not do that. Not that we have to do something remarkable in order to attain them. He doesn't approve of that either and not that we have to reach a certain mark as we progress in our Christian lives and then the blessings will be granted to us. That's not his way either. When we come to Christ, those blessings are ours. So whether we've been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years, it matters not, those blessings belong to us. Paul then goes on to state that he chose us in him, that's in Christ, before the foundation of the world. Now, there are some who'd want to stop there and make of this verse a proof that God has two separate lists. One list is for those whom he has chosen to be his, and the other, a list of those He rejects. Personally, I don't take that view, although I've come across folks who would hold on to that. Because we read on. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In a former life in my career in the Royal Air Force, one of the things I specialized in was the uh, aircraft oxygen systems, and in particular, uh, those aircraft that use liquid oxygen. It's not used in civilian aircraft but in the military, very much used. Now, this stuff, if you've ever come across it, it's very cold. Minus 183 degrees. Has no smell. And when liquid oxygen gases off, it produces 800 times its liquid volume in gas. So, if an aircraft system, oxygen system, had been serviced, then the whole system was purged through with air. Notice that word, purged. We'll come on to that. The whole system was purged through with air and then filled with either gaseous or liquid oxygen. The test, and here it really goes high tech, the test to see if the system was fit for use was to do a sniff test. Some gas would be released out of the system and literally you would just inhale it. Some of the lads I worked for used it to their own advantage if they came in with a hangover. Brilliant stuff. Now, if there was no smell, If there was no smell, the system was okay to use. You wouldn't kill the pilot. Do you remember the Old Testament sacrifices where the aroma from the altar was a pleasing smell to God? As we move into the New Testament, where we view the final altar when Christ died at Calvary, and in the King James Version, and I... Make no apologies for going back to this because I think it, it spells it out so good. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, read like this. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spoke in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world's who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, listen to this, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high the question of sin and its stench was dealt with once and for all. Therefore, when we accept Christ on the grounds of his sacrifice on the cross, God does a sniff test on us. And because of what his beloved son suffered, and because he's dealt with the stench of our sin, there is no aroma left. The system is fit for purpose. God smells nothing of our sinful past. Salvation's work is complete and God can through his son declare that we are holy and blameless before him. If that was not the case, we would stink in his nostrils. And we might ask, when did God choose to do this? And the answer is right in our text in Ephesians, before the foundation of the world. Logically, brothers and sisters in Christ, logically, if that is our position before him, holy and blameless... then does not he have the right to have us request in our prayers that his name is holy? Hallowed be your name. Now there are some passages of scripture we could consider just to consolidate this point. Numbers 20 tells us, Moses was told to speak to the rock to obtain water for the thirsty Israelites. Moses is impatient and loses it. He gives the rock a mighty blow, not just once, but twice with the rod that the Lord had given to him. And the Lord's response to his actions are like this. Verse 12, because you have not believed me, to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given to them. Those were the waters of Meribah because the sons of Israel contended with the Lord and he proved himself holy among them. And here we see the evaluation of Moses uh, in, in that he failed to take God at his word and therefore he did not treat him as holy. Or did not sanctify him by his actions. And we treat God as holy when we believe what he says, when we trust him implicitly, when we trust his word. God's method of obtaining water by telling Moses to speak to the rock was sufficient, but Moses failed. One John 5:10 spells it out for us in this way: "The one who does not believe God has made him a liar. That unbelief profanes his name and is directly opposite to hallowing him or treating his name as holy." A- another passage, perhaps to help us uh, is in Isaiah chapter eight, verses 12 and 13. You are not to say it's a conspiracy. In regard to all that this people call a conspiracy, and you not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy, and he shall be your fear, and he shall be your dread. Where do we stand with this? Do we fear what others fear? Or do we hallow his name by having a rightful fear of God? When we pray, hallowed be your name, we're asking him, Father, let your name be feared. End of Leviticus chapter 22, uh, we read this, verse 31. So you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. And you shall not profane my holy name, but I will be sanctified among the sons of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Simply put, we hallow his name when we obey his commands, but profane his name when we break them. So hallowed be your name, or Father... Cause your commandments to be obeyed. Finally again in Leviticus uh, chapter 10, there's a famous story uh, about Nadab and Abihu who took it upon themselves to offer unauthorized fire before the Lord and it resulted in both of them dying. Then God spells it out through Aaron, to Aaron through Moses. They were Aaron's sons. This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. And before all people, I will be glorified. Be sanctified, be glorified. Nadab and Abihu were guilty of violating God's absolute standard. God demonstrates his holiness And when we pray, hallowed be your name, we also make that wonderful request, glorified be your name. We hear much about the love of God and thankfully, it's faithfully preached from this platform as is the grace of God. Where would we be without his love, his grace and his mercy? but perhaps the holiness of God is not a subject we cover too often. Well, we've got it this morning in our series. Given that God is holy, the holy one, should we not then acknowledge that he is the one who embodies righteous judgment as part of his character? If we grasped the reality of the whole gamut of God's character, then there would be a surge of reverential fear amongst us and an awe of God that somehow, sometimes we seem to have lost. Certainly the church in the West has a lot of work to do to bring back the awesome, magnificent, unmistakably unique nature of our God. God loves us more than we can ever imagine. He desires that we live a superior life, grants to us his Holy Spirit to fill us, to equip us, and to make us different from the world. And the indwelling Spirit of God enables us to conquer sin, and live above the filth and the degradation that surrounds us, and all of this for his glory, for the hallowing of his name. And when we recognize the holiness of God, the Holy One, who is and was and is yet to be, then we will be filled with awe and reverential fear. Sadly, we hear so often of sin among God's people of things that ought not to be he is to be reverenced and treated more than just a friend God means business and for that his grace is new every morning great is his faithfulness. Have we really captured that? Are we serious in our service for him? (laughs) Or are we just content to turn up here Sunday by Sunday? Enjoy some great songs, and we certainly had those this morning. Relish the blessings from his word and get something of a warm feeling inside um, while the rest of the world around us just perishes. We are a sanctified holy people set apart for a special purpose for his use. We belong to God, to Almighty God, to our Father in and through the saving work of his Son. Let's hone our desire as we come before him and have his name to be hallowed for his glory and for him alone. Matthew chapter 6, having brought us within the Father's presence. The prayer makes three petitions about God and his glory, followed by three about ourselves and our needs. And the order is significant. We're not to be so taken up with ourselves that we rush headlong into God's presence and give him a shopping list of all our needs. His name is to be hallowed. That is to say, we long for his name or his character to have top place in the world and in people's hearts. And we might well pray, Lord, may we make you our number one. May we make you our number one. What a marvellous note of adoration to begin a time of prayer. Amen.